Hello, and welcome to the Good Life with Dawn Richards podcast. I am Dawn Richards, your host, and I'm so excited to be back with you. I am excited to pick right up where we left off when we were together last. I I do pray that you are well. I pray that your week is going well, um, that you are embracing more and more of God's purpose and his plans for your life. And when you're seeing that distinction between his original intent for you, what he designed for your life all along versus maybe what your circumstances and situations may present to you, that you're rising up in your authority, you're standing tall in your divinity, and you're claiming those things that God has said belong to you while resisting the things that the enemy would try to bring into your life. Um, because there is a devil. He's real. He's not a fictional character. He's real. And uh, he has certain defeat. He's already been defeated and that will be finalized in time to come relative to him being put in the pit. But until then, we still have to unfortunately resist. That's why the Bible tells us to resist the devil. And this is the good thing about it. It it first starts off by telling us in Timothy to submit to God. So step one is to submit to God. And what does that mean? What does that mean when the Bible teaches us to submit to God? In its simplest form, it really means to just get in agreement with what God has said about you and your life. Submit to God that you are healed. Submit to God that you are prosperous. Submit to God that you are delivered. Submit to God that you have his divine protection. Agree with God. Get on God's side. Co-sign what God has said about you and obey and obey. So submission to God in its simplest form equals obedience to God and agreement with God and what God has said about us. And so we submit ourselves to God. Step one, we then resist the devil because now we're positioned to fully resist the devil because we're already aware of what's God and what's not God. And we can resist those things that are not of God. We can resist the enemy in his initial attack before he even gets a foothold. And the Bible gives us this promise. He will flee. Glory be to God. So you see how that works? So I pray that these these teachings and all the teachings that I've done um, over the years lead you to that place of true understanding of who you are in Christ, that the light is turned on, that the light of the glorious gospel shines unto you, shines in your heart and illuminates for you and to you who you really are in Christ, what belongs to you, what your inheritance is what God has said about you, what God thinks of you, what God wants for you so that you can then without any hesitation, boldly claim and receive and enjoy the good life that he's destined for you. Does it require the fight of faith? It does. And sometimes we may get tired of that. But you know what the Bible does say? It says it's a good fight. And that means that if we do it right, we're always going to win because I don't think anybody's ever lost a fight and called it a good fight. Oh, you get beat down, you know, on the playground and you come home and tell your parents, you know, I was in a good fight today. Such and such beat my butt, but I was in a good fight. No, you only consider it a good fight when you win. And so the Bible already says we're going to win. It already expects us to win. God already expects us to win because he's given us everything we need to maintain the victory 
that Jesus has obtained. See, we already have the victory. Jesus did the hard part. He went to hell and whipped the devil. That's why we can boldly say he's a defeated foe. That's just not a cute phrase. He literally is defeated. You can read all about it in the New Testament where Jesus soundly and resolutely defeated him and took back the authority that God had originally gifted to us as his creation and as his offspring. And so when Jesus got the victory, he handed it to us because we are what? Joint heirs with Christ Jesus and heirs of God. So what's his is ours. And so he gave us the same victory that he had and that he has for us to then rule and reign in this life through the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness for us to live on top of our circumstances rather than under the circumstances and for us to give God the glory in it all. Because God gets the glory when you're healed. God gets the glory when you have a sound mind. God gets the glory when your family is intact. God gets the glory when you're doing well and you're prospering. That's when God gets the glory. He doesn't get the glory when it goes against his original purpose and his original intent for our lives. So on that note, we're jumping right back in. And I do want to just... Quickly, very briefly, we're now in episode, I believe this is episode 38 today, Um, but it'll be clear by the time I finish um, teaching it and I publish it, you'll know which episode this is. But I believe we're in episode 38 and we're continuing with our series on original intent. So if you're new to the podcast, I welcome you. I encourage you to go back and and listen to the previous uh, messages and get caught up with us. Whenever, you know, you have time at your leisure, they're there for you. But I want to pick back up because when we left off the last time, we were looking um, further at God's original intent for the family. And then we started to dissect some key things around shame and the blame game. And so just to close out on a few of those things, which are going, which is going to lead us into what I want to emphasize today around God's original intent. And I'll tell you what that is in just a moment. So you got to stay tuned to find out. But I want to bring it back full circle because we see when things started in the garden before the fall of man, before Adam and Eve bowed the knee, really Adam bowed his knee to Satan. There was no shame. And we talked about that in the last um, message. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, go dive into that and you'll hear all about that. And then we traced the shame. Because it went from no shame. They were in the garden. They were naked, but they were not ashamed. And then they just a little while later in the next chapter. Recognized their nakedness and they were shamed. And so we talked about that. And you know what? The good news is Jesus has restored it all. Jesus has made all things new. So now we're once again in that place of no shame. And we should be resisting it because it was never God's intent for us to have shame. And one of the key ways the Bible reveals to us to live a shame-free life is to trust in the Lord. The Bible tells us over and over again, you can do a word search, a word study on it, but it tells us repeatedly, they that trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. 
You see, that's what the enemy wants to do. That's his MO. He wants to put you to shame. He wants to make you look like a failure because then that will make God look like a failure. He wants people to think, oh, that God stuff, that Bible stuff, those Christians, oh, that's not really real. That's just a bunch of hocus pocus. He wants people to believe the lie like he wanted Adam and Eve to believe the lie. And they did unfortunately fall for it. But we're not going to fall for the okie doke. Hallelujah. That's why we have 66 books. That's why we have the Holy Spirit who indwells us and revelation that God gives us for our individual lives. That's why we have the fivefold ministry that teaches us and grooms us in the things of God so that we can be built up and we can do the work of the ministry. So we have no excuses uh, to fall for the okie doke the enemy is bringing. We stay before God in prayer and the word. We trust in his grace. We trust in his mercy towards us because, yeah, we don't we don't we don't know a fraction of of what, you know, we could know. We're capable of knowing uh, most often. But we have a helper. Glory to God who knows everything about everything, including how to keep us in a shame free zone. So even if something does happen in your life that would normally cause shame and, you know, embarrassment, fear, all those things are rooted in shame. All those things have that same root or shall I say that's all rooted in fear. And God has not given us the spirit of fear, Timothy tells us, but he's given us the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. So embarrassment, shame, shyness, timidity, all of those things are rooted in fear. And they're not God's will for us. You know, the child that's withdrawn and that's shy and, and the parents, you know, they, they go out and, and, and someone asks about the child and the child is kind of, you know, off to themselves and maybe their head is down and their gaze is down. And the parent says, oh, you know, that's Susan. She's shy. You know, she's shy. Don't speak that over your child. God did not call you nor your children to be shy, to be timid. In fact, that scripture that says he hasn't given us the spirit of fear in another translation, it says he hasn't given us the spirit of timidity, the spirit of cringing, crawling fear where we shrink back. No, you ought to be able to look whosoever. <laughs> I don't care who they are from the president of the United States down to the janitor, whomever you should be able to look them in the eye. You should be able to speak with authority respectfully, but with authority, you don't have to cringe and crawl and, and play small. No, that's not who God has called us to be. We are graceful people, but we're people of divine authority. We know who we are because we have all of heaven backing us. So that's what gives us our boldness. The Bible says the righteous are bold as lions. So if you have someone in your life today, a friend, a family member, a child, a spouse, begin to minister these things to them, begin to study the word. And once again, see what God has said about you and about your personality and about your disposition. God can change our personalities. You know, just because you're born a certain way with a certain disposition, that doesn't mean that was God's intent for you if it doesn't line up with the scripture. And I'm here to tell you on good authority that God has not called us to be shy. He's not called us to be shamed. He's not called us to be embarrassed. He's not called us to live in fear. Will those things try to come? Will they try to put themselves on us? Absolutely, because there's a stinking rotten devil running around. But when that does happen, 
We can rebuke it. We can resist it. We can dust ourselves off. Even if we do fall prey to it, we can immediately come back to our good senses. As that prodigal son did, the Bible says when he came to himself, you know, he lost his way. And he really lost his mind. I mean, for you to go from riches to rags, living in the trough with the pigs and eating what they eat. Yeah, you you made some wrong turn somewhere, friend. But guess what? Even in that, the father was there with open arms to welcome him back. He had to recognize that he had gotten off the path. But once he did, it took him a minute, but he eventually got there. And that's the same way it is with you and me. We can get off the path, but guess what? God will always be there at the path to meet us right where we left off. You see, it's not God leaving us. It's us leaving him. But he's still going to be right where we left him. So we go right back. We join arm in arm with him. And we continue on our journey of freedom and victory and blessing, giving glory to God. Hallelujah. So I just want to give you that good news that it might have gone to shame and it might have gone to the blame game. But that's not God's original intent, as we saw. And we're not going to let that be the ending for us. So picking up today. We're going to be talking about God's original intent for our work. Everybody say work. W-O-R-K. No, it's not a bad word. Yes, it's a four letter word, but it's not a dirty word. It's actually a good word. It's a word that represents purpose. It represents usefulness. It represents Prosperity, it represents good when we embrace it as God originally intended for us. Now, like everything else we've examined from the family dynamics to um, a lot of different things that just come up in life. We've seen how when sin entered the picture, it turned things upside down. Did you know the Bible says that evil turns things upside down? Evil does that. See, doing things the right way and God's way turns things right side up and it keeps them right side up. The Bible says godliness exalts, but sin is a reproach to any nation or any people or any person. So it's evil that will turn your life upside down. If you're enamored by evil, if you're enamored by evil things, evil people, you know, evil ways of making a living, quote unquote, you know, the quick, fast, dirty money doesn't you don't care who you hurt to get it. You don't care what you have to do to get it, to steal, kill, hook and crook. Uh huh. Just just wait, because your life is about to be turned upside down. Bible. And so we see that we see the transition from paradise, true paradise, a true utopia. When God created the earth for us to live and to multiply and to have dominion. We see that turned upside down after the fall of man. So God's original intent was work. Work was a part of God's plan for man because he man needed something to do. Now you just not going to sit around every day and sit up, sit around on your tushy and do nothing. But it was not the kind of work when we think of work so often. 
We think of struggle. We think of hustle. And so I'm going to show you right here in the scripture how God framed work. Because many of us have gotten way off the path when it comes to work, when it comes to our professions, when it comes to our professional endeavors. And we've gotten on the opposite end of being workaholics. We won't we won't acknowledge it that way of making our work our idol because it's it's really it's really rooted in the love of money. And the Bible says that the love of money, not money, money has no character until someone possesses it. And it takes on the character of the person who has it. So money in and of itself is neither good nor evil. It's neither good nor bad. But the love of money, which is what the scripture says, is the root of all evil. And didn't Jesus teach us over and over about that pull for the love of mammon, which is the material world, the, 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 the world that you can create for yourself outside of God. And you have so many people, they wear the Christian label even. But honey, they're working like there is no God in sight. They're doing any and everything, latching on to some of this and some of that. Never seeking God, never really discerning if it's God's will for them or not. As long as they can find a dollar bill at the end of the road, they think that it's all good. But let me wake you, let me help you. And I believe as we go through this, you will be helped. That all money is not good money. And that if you are only living and doing things to get money, you are in a bad way. You have missed God. You have missed God's best for you because do you know there are things that God can give you and do for your life that money can never do? And Jesus says you have to choose. You, you're, you're not going to be able to serve mammon and God. You've got to choose. Either you're going to serve God, the real God, the true and living God, or you're going to serve a false God, an idol, mammon. And as I've already shared over and over, he leaves the choice up to us. So let's start where? At the very beginning. <laughs> I hope some of you are singing along with me. A very good place to start. All right. So in the beginning, we see God introduce work or what I really like to frame as purpose. If we look in Genesis back in the very beginning, chapter two, God has just finished creating the earth, creating the garden of Eden where he's placed man. And in verse 15, it tells us that the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. So that was Adam's job, his primary responsibility before God. And this was before he had a family. This is before Eve came along or any of that. It was just him and the other created things, the animals and such. Adam was God, small g of this earth. He eventually turned that over to Satan. But as little God under big God, God said, all right, 
Here's the garden. There's gold in the garden. So see, gold was already in the garden. So Adam wasn't hooking and crooking to get some gold. He wasn't hooking and crooking, you know, to bring in some good stuff because the Bible tells us right above that, that a river flowed from Eden watering the garden. And he said that there was gold that was exceptionally pure. There were fine jewels, onyx stone, aromatic resin. I mean, it was lush. It was decked out. I know decked out is quite an outdated phrase. So excuse me. I don't, what would we say today? Some, some might say pimped out. Whatever you say when you think something is ultra fabulous. That is what the Garden of Eden represented. So when God finally came around to Adam and, and said, OK, Adam, this is your home. This is your home base, your headquarters, because obviously God expected him and Eve or the woman. because She was named Eve after the fall. He expected Adam and his wife, the woman to multiply and fill the earth, to reproduce and multiply and fill the earth with more little Adams and little E's, more small G's that were going to rule and reign. But see, right here, we see why it was so treacherous. What went down in chapter three with Eve and the serpent, because God told Adam, hey, I'm putting you here and I want you to tend it and watch over it. And that by default also included keeping out intruders. And Adam failed on the job, as we see. He started off on the good foot. He started off well enough because we keep reading and God began to give him other responsibilities. God says, OK, Adam, you have my wisdom downloaded into your spirit. You know, as I know, you see as I see. So now, Adam, I'm going to let you name all the livestock and all the birds and all the wild animals. And Adam was able to do it. No problem. Glory to God. And then came his reward, which was his woman, his wife, his whoa, man. Hallelujah. His womb, man, a woman with a man with a womb. And so there was bliss. He left his father and mother, you know, as the Bible says here. This is why a man leaves his father and mother. Adam did not leave his father and mother because he didn't have a, his father was God. But that was the framework of why that would happen, that cleaving with a husband and a wife. And so back back here in verse 15, God placed him in the garden to tend it and watch over it. And the Lord gave him his instructions right there. Remember, I told you God told Adam what was supposed to go down with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam was supposed to in form his wife. He was supposed to get Eve on the same page so that when the enemy came in to divide and conquer, as he often does in relationships, whether it's a marital relationship, a collegial, a professional, a, a friendship, any other dynamic, he's always looking to divide and conquer. He's always looking to kill, steal and destroy. And so God gave him these instructions and he says, now you're not going to eat. You're going to be able to eat of every fruit, every tree and the fruit of every tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. 
And then he went on to tell him how, hey, I'm, I'm going to make a helper that's right for you. That's meat for you. That's fitting for you. That's suitable for you. The horse is not suitable for you. The dog is not suitable for you. So for people who may be confused and I'm not trying to be you know, facetious in this, if people are confused and they think that they're supposed to be romantically tied to a to a horse, if they think they're supposed to be romantically tied to a dog. No, if you think you're supposed to be romantically tied to a tree and eh, that's not. That's not fit for you. God showed us what was right, man and woman. So he gave Adam all of his instructions. You know, don't you love it when you're working for someone or with someone? And they're a good leader and they're able to lead you and tell you and demonstrate exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And they equip you with what you need to get the job done. Well, God did all of that. So Adam was not clueless about what his responsibilities were. I don't know if he was taking a nap. I don't know what he was doing when Eve was pulled off to the side and the serpent intruded and Adam wasn't there to block it and to kick him out because that was his job. That was his job. According to Genesis 2:15. he was supposed to tend and watch over the garden. He was supposed to make sure that Eve was on the same page. And so God gave Adam purpose. So work is good. If you're sitting somewhere today and you don't like to work. And instead, you'd rather get handouts or instead you'd rather leech off somebody else or you'd rather steal or do some other corrupt thing to live and make your way in life. I'm here to tell you that's not God's will. Work, W-O-R-K, is the will of God. It's good, but we've got to make sure we're framing it in the proper context. And we're all out of time, so we're going to pick right back up here next time and get into exactly what that looks like and what it, more importantly, doesn't look like. So once again, the enemy is not pulling one over on us and taking us out of the will of God for our lives. Because I believe this in, in particular is a key era, area in modern living where people get off the path of God's best for them and they don't even realize it. We're here to tear down every lie, every stronghold of the enemy. We are not going to go forward in these last days dealing with the foolishness of the enemy. We're going to call it out on the spot. We're going to be smarter than that. We're going to be wiser than that. The Bible says that God gives us wisdom that our adversaries can neither gainsay nor resist. Yes, amen. And he gives it to us so we can live, so we can wax bold, so we can do great exploits, so we can thrive and always triumph in Christ Jesus. So I thank you so much for listening. I thank you as always for staying connected with me here on the podcast. I pray that you're liberal and sharing it with friends, your network, family. If it's a blessing to you, I believe it'll be a blessing to someone else. So be liberal, share it, download it, like, comment, subscribe, follow all the things. Glory to God. I also pray that you will take what we've talked about here. You will continue to let God just minister it to your heart and you will continue to rule and reign in Christ Jesus. And until we're together again, I speak abundant blessings and favor over you. 
I pray the Lord is gracious to you, makes a space to shine upon you, leads you in the path of life, and crowns all your efforts with success. I thank you. I pray that you live intentionally, that you always possess the good life in Christ Jesus. And until we're together again, God bless you.